the Starbucks creamer that you can get from the grocery store for pumpkin spice. God awful. The regular coffee mate pumpkin spice. Amazing. So once again, Starbucks doing, can go fuck itself. We've been doing the Chobani oat milk pumpkin creamer that you can get. I, I have that. I have that as well. It's good. Yep. We've been buying cases of it every time it's there because it's, we use it's it so definitely much. good. It, it hits pretty good. I, I did like it. But I like it. Your boys are going to be elite. It's got a bit of that earthiness. Black Earthy. or nothing. Yeah. A bit of that spice. <gasps> yes. Andrew, we know you like a black melange. The pumpkin spice mm. must flow. A little bit of that melange. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, I need to read this. Desert. I need to read this book. Just... Well, I, so I was going to actually kind of propose. Uh, we could do this off the cast. I was going to propose maybe just doing that, like we all collectively read Oof. it and just kind of talk about it as we go You're through it. For a lot. That's an undertaking. That's an undertaking. <laughs> well, the book in itself is not like too difficult. It's, it's dense, but chapters. it's doable. Chapter by chapter, we could do it. And if you have to reread it, you have to reread it. It's fine. Is that a mini cross sections where it's like the sci-fi reading club i don't i don't i don't know if i want to dedicate that to sci-fi cross we read it, just, we find the pages. Read it and talk about it tell you what we think about tell, it. tell us what we read about it Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Jason. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. And tonight we are talking about the 2021 film, Dune. <clears throat> God damn, it's been... Oh, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it, boys? Um, so yeah, Dune was written and directed by Denny Villeneuve. Also written by John Spates and Eric Roth. The film starring Timothy Chalabay, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Stephen McKinney, and a lot more other people. But uh, I guess we can mention Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem. Um, I was kind of bummed, honestly, that they didn't bring back Carl Urban for this. Yeah, worst thing. I'm sorry, was Carl Urban in Doom? Yeah, Doom. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, he was in Doom. This yeah. is a remake, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. The Rock this is the I heard this was yeah. a remake. Doom. Yeah, The Rock yeah. was recast um, as, uh, yeah. So well, Dave Bautista. Yes, this is based on uh, Frank Herbert's Doom from the 60s. Huzzah. Um... I guess just a few tidbits. Does anybody know how much this movie cost? I want to say it's something million. about a, a 161 million, somewhere around there. Uh, you, you, you're both close. It's 165 million. Oh, I said 578. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. 
and let's uh, date this. We're, <laughs> it is currently we're recording on October twenty second. We saw the movie last night for its midnight release, quote unquote midnight release. Yeah, there's no such thing as midnight release. Yeah, no, it's seven p.m. Um, <laughs> I don't know quite where the box office is. I I think I still have the international numbers. It's about one hundred twenty nine point seven million, but I know it's gone up quite a little bit more in the last twenty four hours. So, which is fantastic because it hasn't even been like you know. I mean, it's opening it weekend is not done it's, and it's already doing it's well. not done we haven't even you know we're just getting into it you know yeah so. mm-hmm. yeah very well I, okay. I don't see it being a flop that's all i'm saying uh before we get too in too far into it though bill good luck what <laughs> is this movie about <laughs> i wish i could help um <laughs> i'm glad you asked In the year 10,191, amidst a feudal interstellar society composed of planetary fiefs, the spice has made interstellar travel possible. As melange, the spice can only be produced on Arrakis. Control of the planet is thus a coveted and dangerous undertaking. In a preemptive political ploy to destroy House Atreides, the Emperor has tasked Duke Leto Atreides with stewardship of Arrakis, whose son, Paul, begins his journey of visions, dissension, and survival. In the Imperium, the spice must flow. It's due. In a world where the worms are big. My name is John <laughs> Dune. Use use the voice. <laughs> it's done. That's my voice. If, when I use the voice, that's what it sounds like. The worms are big. <laughs> they're big, they're mean, and they're hungry. They're big. It's shy Hollywood. And pink. Uh, yeah so oh fuck guys we're finally here dune is finally released what a year and some change later at this point i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah feels like um which i'm so grateful for i'm even more grateful that we got to see it in theaters and not like on the small screen you know Mm -hmm. oh Um, yeah well yeah Mm -hmm. i i mean i actually uh i gotta get the source because because it was actually a really great article i saw I think Bill shared it uh, as well, but it was a, a great piece um, that I shared today by, hold on, I wasn't prepared for it. I'm going to bring it up right now. It was Engadget. Well, and the name of the piece is Dune is too big for your TV. Mm-hmm. And I thought that captured my sentiments perfectly because this was one of those films where, and I know you guys all probably share the same sentiment having you know seen it in the same theater as I did, your, your living room is just not the right way to experience this film. Not, at all. not for the first time. Anyway. No. Um, I'm really glad we did what we did and saw it in IMAX. I think this is one of those movies that has to be seen on the biggest screen possible. So I, I think after seeing it, I definitely understand Denise who obviously we're all big fans of here on the podcast, uh, reluctance to kind of go along with uh, Warner brothers plan to do the simultaneous release because I can definitely see how in this new kind of era of uh, film that we're, we're coming into, or I guess coming out of in a lot of ways, um, it's tricky. 
because this is definitely this is the type of movie that lives on the big screen. I feel like lives or dies on the big screen. Uh, so so that to me kind of put a lot more context to a lot of the pre-release stuff that we were hearing surrounding this movie. I don't mm-hmm. know what you guys thought. Yeah, no, and I definitely, I definitely understand why, you know, especially with going to the large screen and the issues that have come up with, you know, um, you know, particular films and actors uh, with the issues with, you know, because this, you know, these contracts were, you know, signed before COVID, you know, so these actors, you know, expected a big release. And so it's like, you know, when you have this covid 19 situation come up in the middle of you know i think what is it right after production started or something like that i don't even know i'm sorry um but yeah i mean for this to have happened like this and um and uh you know monetary you know i mean a lot of a lot of actors will you know base their a part of their salary on gross you know box office and so they'll you know they'll do that sort of thing um, and, uh, you know, so sometimes the, you know, production companies do want, you know, do want to stay in the black and they do want to do these things. And sometimes it means kind of selling out your actors. And so I really hope that everybody was treated fairly in the way that this, you know, you know, their contracts are concerned, but like in terms of artistry as well, you need to see this with a really fucking loud sound system and a gigantic screen that's what you need to see this like you really need that experience well the other thing too um you know with with this i guess just in general this is kind of the first i think and i could be wrong so you guys correct me if i'm wrong here but i'm just trying to think back because i've only really seen a handful of movies i was actually talking to colin about it yesterday really only seen a handful of movies um since this whole kind of covid era has begun uh and i feel like the majority of films, you know, that have come out, yeah, you know, we, we've had the Godzilla versus Kong and we, we, we've had some blockbusters, quote unquote, but this is like the first big like event movie. Uh, and I say that as in, you know, Interstellar, uh, Dark Knight, like an event where it's kind of part of the cultural zeitgeist, you know, or part of the larger conversation, I think, around pop culture uh, where it was a big, big deal. Um, it, so I'm really curious to see how this plays out kind of in the box office and the court of public opinion, I guess, in terms of where it ends up, because I think that's going to be, uh, you know, we can say what we want about Denny and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, you know, more about it. I think I turned to each of you last night and said, who, who keeps writing checks for Denny? <laughs> who keeps giving this guy money? You know, in, in a funny way, because this is just like such a, yeah. a dense artistic thing to be seeing on a huge screen, you know, and, and to have had so much money thrown at it. But I feel like I'm really curious to see how this does and kind of where it goes um, when the dust is settled. um, Well, so I guess like my big, big thing here is I'm kind of surprised you didn't think Voyagers was the event that it actually was. I, I can't Shut even up, do it. I'm sorry. I hate that's you. not even that's not a thing. I hate you. All right. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. I love that you you phrased it as who keeps giving Denny money because we we know that he deserves the money. Give him the budget. Let him tell the story he wants to tell. He tells it from a fan perspective, but a fan who is afraid to do what he's doing. Uh, I think we all know that about Denny. He's afraid. He's afraid of these things that he keeps trying to conquer because 
he reveres it. And I I really do appreciate that about him. That's why I trust him with Dune. That's why I trusted him with Blade Runner is because he's afraid of it. And it, it not to get off topic here, but it, it kind of bums me out to read what I saw within you know the last couple of months about him talking about Blade Runner and he regrets doing it. I hate that. I hate hearing that just because of the reaction that it got. He regrets doing it. Yeah, that no, kills that's, me. That 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 sucks. That sucks. Because real it was bad. such a phenomenal movie. He did such a great job with it, but it didn't do well. And I hate to say it, but that's the kind of shit that kills a director's like career. Yeah, that allows I, him to keep taking these artistic, um, wonderful well, jobs it, that he's trying to do. Because uh, it could kill him, and he just gets stuck making like Michael Bay movies the rest of his life. Like, oh. Well, if nothing else, too, I think, you know, there's something to be said for just the morale of, of the director. I mean, if you say you you are, are really into this, um, yeah, I use music as an example, you know, you're, you're really into arty music or you're really into kind of experimenting or experimentation or, you know, avant-garde or whatever. You, you want to do something different. You want to do something that hasn't been done before. Do it in your own way. There, there's that... Um, I feel like that middle ground, you know, it's that part of the Venn diagram that kind of has to be there in order for that vision to be successful. And we measure success in a lot of different ways. It can be critical success, commercial success, whatever. But it, in, in the, the film sphere, I feel like it kind of has to be a little bit of both. You know, you need the critic success. You need to put butts in seats. You need the, the you know, ticket returns and everything else like that or the box office returns. So it's kind of an interesting ground that like someone like Denis, who I think is like, you know, a total visionary when it comes to just film and what's capable and, and uh, what film is capable of visually um, that. Yeah, like it sucks to hear that he, you know, is is disappointed or has regrets about things he's done in the past because the dude's got a pretty solid track record and this just kind of added to it. I think if he can stick the landing and, and part two gets greenlit, which I think it will, that's just my thought. Um, this is like going to be like his opus. And I, I sincerely think he could probably even continue to evolve and, and do something greater, which is awesome. You know, kind of, kind of, kind of cool to think about. But this isn't necessarily his peak. This isn't to say that this is the best he can do. Um, you know, I think he's he's been ramping up, and I think if he sticks the landing on part two, the sky's the limit. Literally, you know, uh, he could handle anything if if he's able to adapt that. He can do anything. Well, so this is his most well, obviously ambitious project to date. Um, Dune has been made before. It's actually been made several times. Uh, it's kind of just known as the movie that cannot be made. The 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 original time it was going to be made it was in the seventies. Um, the director literally said, "Fuck this, I'm out." He like fucked off, didn't want to do it. Uh, and then it got made in the eighties, and we all know how that one turned out. <laughs> Not the best uh, movie experience you could have. It's actually kind of bad. Sting is in it. Is it? Um, I love Sting. And Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, no, objectively, he, he plays objectively, the giant worm. Objectively, that is a bad movie. The closest Dune has gotten to actually, in a, my cat's meowing at me, to actually honoring the source one, material. I think was the. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but was the uh, the miniseries that I think mm -hmm. the Sci Fi Channel did at like two thousand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. Um, I ex 
absolutely loved it. I, I to this day I still look back and if I were to watch it now, I'd probably be like, oh, this isn't very good. But I, I think it was pretty good, but only because it had the length it needed to let this story breathe. Mm -hmm. Which kind of comes back to the fact that Denny wanted to do this in a two-parter, which even to me, that might not be enough. That might not be long enough to tell this story how it should be told. But I will say, based off of what I saw in that, that first act, I think it's, he's doing it right. Yeah. But that's coming from a guy who knows the story of Dune, you know. I know what Dune is. I know the story. So for me, I'm judging it based on, okay, this is how much we're telling at this point. Okay, I got it. But for someone who's never experienced Dune before, do you think that was too dense? Um, you talking about the film, the dense yes, density I'm sorry, of the, the film? The, the, film the, the one that we just watched. Yeah, the density. I mean, I feel like there were, and I think that, you know, from what I read afterwards, there were a lot of concessions made on what was included, what was, you know, what characters were included, stuff like that, obviously, because the breadth of this, you know, the breadth of the novel is so gigantic that it's difficult to, you know, get every single piece of content in there, obviously. And it's still, it's a film, it's a movie, you know, you, you have to make a good movie out of it. But I feel like the way they, you know, the way that he focused so much on Jessica and uh, Paul and like kind of made that the focal point, the relationship between the two and like how everything kind of plays into their relationship uh, was the best way to go about it to get the emotional, you know, evocation out of it while also creating the correct setting, tone, feeling to the film that it needed to have in order to be Dune. So, you know, not only to make a, you know, you know, where, where does it go from adaptation to based upon, you know, but it's like, it, it is really like a fantastic way of adapting the film into something that's consumable in a visual medium. And I feel like the way they, he handled you know, monologue. Monologue was a huge part of the book, as I've read. I, I need to read the book. But as I've read, that internal monologue was a huge part of the book. And that was one of the things that kind of killed the original 1984 movie was this horrible internal monologue that was going on the entire time that was just so, like, ugh. It just did, it doesn't work in a film, you know. And so I'm glad that they used the cues that they did and they used the actors that they did to emote the things that needed to be said. So it's like, there were a lot of things that were not said that didn't need to be said. And, you know, one of the, obviously in that, in terms of internal monologue, the thing they had to keep was the, um, litany of fear, the, uh, you know, fear is the mind killer. Um, I feel like having that, as sort of like a focal point of the internal dialogue happening was kind of like a good center point for the characters, because I mean, that's really everything in this, in this film emotionally is, you know, combating fear. So, and it's, it's sorry, I'm like, I'm like getting so into it, but it's hard not to when it's Dune. Um, I, I'd say that they did a great job sort of, Boiling it, down, boiling it down to what it needed to be uh, while also keeping a lot of doors open and keeping a lot of very interesting and complex ideas hidden underneath the surface. So that's my take. 
All right. Good sci-fi. <laughs> oh, oh, never mind. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. But I thought that that also, the most surprising thing to me, and it was funny because uh, before we recorded, uh, I, I spoke with our friend Kyle. I think everyone here knows Kyle. Um, and him and his fiance went tonight and saw it as well. And I told him, yeah, give me a call after you see it because I'd be really curious because he's looking forward to this very much. So, and he's read the books and, you know, he's, he's really into the the story of it. So we're kind of curious, um, you know, or I was kind of curious what his take would be. I said, oh, he's probably going to hate it, you know? Um, so we talked about it and he said, and I, I have to agree. And it kind of goes into what Bill's talking about as well. Um, the, the biggest surprise for me of this film really was the pacing. You'd think that it would be very kind of glacially paced or it'd be a very like slow movie given the source material, but it really wasn't. I felt like that is a victory of Denis and his direction and the way that he kind of managed this production. I feel like um, he did he did it with such a confidence in the story that he wanted to tell kind of in that, uh, you know, in some ways, streamlined version of of the dense source material, but he did it in a way where you had those action set pieces, but not at the expense of the story, not at the expense of kind of that emotional heft that I think the actor's performances added. So really, it was kind of a best of all worlds thing. I went in, and and we were even joking, Kyle and I were talking, like, you kind of almost expect that like, okay, uh, I'm going to go into the theater and it's going to be this three hour, like really heady slog. And I mean that in the best way, right? Because there's a lot, a lot of films that we love, uh, Blade Runner 2049 being one of them where, uh, you know, interstellar being another one I would, I would highlight where it's what you're seeing is great and it's very dense and it's philosophical and it has all these layers, but it also can be very slow almost to a fault in some cases, but you look past that because what you're getting is so cerebral that it's, it's okay. You know, like, um, I've done that many a time where it's like, okay, I can deal with this, but I think that's a victory of Dune. And part of the reason why I'm hoping at the box office that it is successful enough to kind of warrant, you know, revisiting or completing is that I think for the average viewer, it had enough of the rah-rah action, but it also maintained a really good balance between those kind of more uh, quiet moments or introspective moments or uh, kind of story moments, uh, as it were. So I, I really appreciated that. And I think that's a victory of what Denis and, and co accomplished with this. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Andrew, do you have anything you want to add, add at that point? I'm sorry. I... Well, this was the, this was my, my first experience with dune in general i never saw the original i didn't see the um i haven't read the book i actually never even saw any of the trailers i don't really think um and there's i mean that's a it's a huge kind of info dump on you you know in the beginning you're getting introduced to house atreides house harkonnen the, the you know intergalactic politics with that the empire the um, uh, Jezeret, the Bene Gesserit. Um, and there's just so much shit just thrown at you all at once, but it's amazing how exactly, like how accessible it all is. You pick it up really quickly. You know, it's like, okay, all right. These, all right. These guys are like the Jedi. Okay. But they're like weird. Like, it's like, these are the space mystics. 
of stuff like that. All right, so there you got that. All right, now you got the the political intrigue. You know, House Harkonnens. You know, Dave Batista is there. They're they're the bad guys. You know, you know we've got uh we've got all the. There's just it's a lot of intergalactic play, and then it all. Are, are we we're spoiling the movie, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then it all culminates <laughs> okay, into the fucking. If you do not play. know what Dune is at this point in time, yeah, stop. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, but it all culminates in that just fucking massive uh, invasion scene on um, uh, which the planet. I can't remember the planet's name. Arrakis. Uh, Arrakis. That's never been everything. seen before, though. Oh, really? Or to that level. That's Shit. never been seen before. Right. Like, this is the first I, yeah. time it's been on that scale. It's yeah. Because I never like I said, I never saw the other movie. I never read the book. So just this fucking massive planetary invasion. And yeah, I mean, expertly paced is kind of because I was like, I went into it and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm just along for the ride, just kind of figuring things out. And I'm like, this is really fucking, this is really cool. Like, this is good. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Like, I'm enjoying, like, learning all of this lore and backstory to this whole, like, universe, this whole galaxy. So... I, I mean, um, specifically, that scene was amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. The whole invasion thing was just. Yeah. It's it's a it's such a lore rich story. Like, there's just so much behind everything that's happening. Yeah. And I also want to really hand it to the actors for making you fall in love with their characters mm-hmm. um once again i'm blown away by oscar isaac for for one um he's a goddamn he, babe he's golden he took everything that, well he took this I character mean, seriously he took this character and he literally made it his I, he crushed it i i've never been sad <laughs> sadder to see a character like die in that moment i was like mm-hmm. oh my fucking god like he crushed it and the the relationship between oscar isaac and timothy chalabay um was perfect and it's one of those things like i don't know how to i don't know how to describe it but you believe that they were father and son the entire time like they well, crushed it yeah the chemistry was so good the, the one scene i would point to because it honestly almost had me um for lots of reasons I won't get into, but it almost had me kind of tearing up. Um, they were standing in the the kind of memorial graveyard on the cliffside, and he he you know does the speech where even if you don't accept the burden of leadership, you'll have accomplished all that I ever wanted of you or all that I ever needed of you, and that's being my son. Mm-hmm. And just the way he. Like just that scene that the way he sells that performance and sells that line, it was beautiful. I mean, not only the sentiment there, but you, you kind of felt that um, really come across that kind of emotion or that that like sense of love and, and pride, you know, but just, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess talking about the performances really quick too, because that was another thing Colin and I kind of discussed prior to the film. Cause I went in relatively cold as far as, um, knowing anything about this particular adaptation. Um, Dune has been in my life for, since I was a baby, I, my, my dad, this was like his favorite, one of his favorite sci-fi properties. So there are always copies of Dune laying around the house. 
Uh, I watched the miniseries with him in 2000 when it came out on sci-fi. You know, he was a huge fan of it. So this is like some of my earliest memories and earliest sci-fi memories are of Dune. So I was, I was pretty excited to go into it and see it. But what I thought was kind of funny, you know, we had discussed like performances and that, you know, oh, well, a lot of the veteran actors seemingly from like pre-release reviews and things kind of nailed their parts. And maybe some of the younger actors, eh, not so much. I thought everyone was phenomenal uh, that Timothy Chalamet or, or Chalabay or whatever his name is. Um, I know he's a thing, <laughs> but I was very impressed by his performance uh, for, for kind of what it was. I thought for having so much of the film on his shoulders, he did a, a pretty admirable job. Uh, and, and a lot of the veteran actors that we've kind of come to know and love and, and we've seen in a lot of other, you know, media, uh, I thought, Obviously, Oscar Isaac, like we said, was phenomenal. Josh Brolin was awesome. Mind-blowing. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So fantastic. So I heard a complaint. I don't remember where I heard it from, but I heard that the younger actors did not bring the gravitas to this movie that... To, to the roles that the older actors knew to bring to this. But I disagree. I think Timothy Chalamet crushed the role of Paul Atreides. He, he owned it. It yep. was his 100%. I mean, I may have a complaint about uh, Zendaya, but she wasn't in this movie. She was just in Visions yeah. the whole time. So, like, that doesn't mean anything. If they make the yeah. part two, huh, hopefully they make the part two. Um, I would love to see more out of Zendaya in that, but we know that her character has a bigger role to play when it comes to, to that. So, we'll see how that plays out. But... Um, I have no complaints from anyone. I mean, Skarsgård, <laughs> so chilling. I'm so I'm so, so glad. I'm so glad that he was able to shed, you know, his public appearance and show what he really looks like in this movie. It was really all, touching. All Five hundred pounds, <laughs> goopy Skarsgård. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Um, no, but everyone, and even Dave Patista's character, is always displayed as just like this dumb meathead. And even that, I was like, all right, yeah, I dig it. Yeah. Um, I appreciated that. Uh, I, I, that's the thing is we know about like, uh, Josh Brolin's character and Jason Momoa's character. And, you know, they only have like a certain role to play in the story, but I even enjoyed the little bits I saw of them. Well, uh, everyone. Good, Bill. I was going to say Javier Bardem really lent his, oh, like, yes. I don't know, his sort of, um, effortless uh i forget what the word is his effortless i don't know gravitas i guess his his sort of like you know walking into a room with no effort but yet he has such a huge um presence you know javier bardem does that a lot he's very very good at it yeah well just want to mention that he always plays see i just remember like the creepy movies where Javier Bardem just plays a fucking creepy ass dude. So it's kind oh, of yeah. nice to just see him No Country not for Old Men. <laughs> You're talking about No Country for Old Men. Yes, we know. Not only that, but <laughs> the, the fucking the Bond movie he was in also just, yes, just a creep. Oh, yeah. happy, happy to see him just play a, a normal person. <laughs> well, I think, if, you know, t- for, for that point, you know, the actors in this film, I think along with the rest of the the crew and and the production team and and really you know everyone that worked on this movie you can really tell that they all knew what they were a part of they knew the potential the film had and they all brought their a game no one 
slacked on this. This was not a paycheck for anybody. And you can really tell. And, and I think that that's, that's cool because a lot of movies, even ones that we've looked up, you know, looked to or, or been hyped about or whatever, you can tell that, yeah, okay, maybe the directing's really strong or maybe the cinematography's great, but, you know, there's that actor or actors who maybe don't give it their A game or they just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, it's a legacy thing. They're just kind of showing up and collecting the paycheck. None of the individuals involved no matter what the role was, no matter how big it was, how small it was, uh, phoned it in. I think everyone really prepared and really came with their A game and, and knew, the, like you said, the gravity of what they were involved in and, and what, what it could potentially be. So I don't want to take anything away from the actors, but I think that is one of the strengths of Denny. I, I think he brings that out of his actors, no matter what. And we saw that with Blade Runner. We saw that yep. with... Uh, um, Shit! What was, what was the alien one? Um, alien arrival. arrival. Same thing yeah. with Arrival. I mean, that cast wasn't like the most stellar cast, but they all brought their aid game to it. He just brings it out of his actors. I think. I think that's the big thing. Um, I mean, the th- the that's thing the I common really denominator love. there. I would say is Denny Villeneuve. Think- he just brings it out of. He has a passion. He's a huge nerd about whatever he's doing, and I love it. I love everything about it. Well, he also said like Dune is his life. Like he literally grew up with Dune. He read Dune. This was his passion. He's been he actually picturing this movie since he was 13. He said like, yeah, well, at some point he also said that, like, I forget it was in the article here somewhere, but um, basically he refused to do Dune until he did it two more like huge projects. He wanted to do Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 um, in order to, to get the skills and know how to do Dune. He said, I'm not, you know, I have not done anything good enough to do Dune yet. So he wanted to do some huge stuff before he got to Dune because he wanted to do it right, which is beautiful to hear. Practice. He wanted to practice, practice, which is crazy. I mean, how often do you you actually hear (laughs) shit like that? Because I read probably the same article because I did my normal you know, IMDb wiki article yeah. review critical dump last night when we when we all got home from the theater. But like coming across that, like that's cool. Like, yeah, you know what? This was my passion project and something I really wanted to do right. So I didn't rush into it, even though he probably could have been handed the keys to this five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, if he really wanted to. But he wasn't ready for it yet. And he was the first to admit that he wasn't ready for it. He wanted to, you know, polish his craft a little more. He wanted to practice a little more and hone that stuff and make sure that he was ready for it. And like Colin said, uh, when we talked about a lot in the the Blade Runner cast, he has this reverence and this fear of the properties he takes on. But it's cool because he has that fear, but he still does it. And I, that I, give, I have the utmost respect for him as a creator, you know, one creator to another, you know, obviously on much different levels, but like, that's so cool to me. You're not, I'm not going to just do the safe thing. I'm not going to just pander and try to, you know, I'm going to do my own thing with it, but run into the battle. <laughs> that's such a cool and rare thing. I feel like in any sort of art and especially mainstream art kind of that line that he straddles. Um, I think that's a great mentality to have. And I think that's why he's so successful. 
that's, creatively. I mean, yeah, and I mean that's he's always running the area between art and commercial. You know, he's always like in that space to be like he really makes something significant and ground shaking, but at the same time make it as well a commercial success, right, which that, is that like was, really hard to do. Well, that's like. Christopher Nolan was able to do that for so long. Like that's that was his thing is he could he can make a piece of art but also sell it to the masses. We'll call it the Michael Bay thing, you know, he can literally just make anyone watch his movie and they'll like it. They'll take something from it. So not which saying makes that. life <laughs> which makes life great for us. Yes. <laughs> and oh god, I wish more sci-fi movies could have that big of a budget be that unbelievably awesome and the masses love it but also we could all just take something artistically from it that we all just really appreciate so unfortunately that's not the case with this genre yeah well that's and yeah i was gonna say just speaking artistically too you know we've talked a lot about the direction and the acting and just kind of the, the fact that it is such a faithful adaptation while also kind of being its own thing. But um, one of the things I really appreciated about the film as well, and I've appreciated this in all of Denny's movies, but um, it kind of goes back to that effortless sort of uh, uh, assurance that his work has. It, just like the the whole visual style is so assured. I got to go back to that word. Just so like unique. And I love his like minimalist, brutalist, sort of design and, and sort of that vibe that he's going for where, you know, it's just very, it is very minimal. It's not really overblown, but it's beautiful in that kind of way. That was another thing that Kyle and I kind of discussed, you know, what came to mind and, and obviously we're talking way different tiers here, but like the movie oblivion, I always come back to that because I really appreciated the art direction in that film and like the style of it. It was so kind of stark and minimal, but it gave it, to me, a lot of personality just because, you know, so much sci-fi I feel like is overblown or over-designed. So I really liked, you know, when, when they're in the, um, the city and you see a lot of like, like the, the palace, you know, and, and you see a lot of those rooms, like they're so stark and alien looking, but they have this really cool design. And, and, you know, the, there's that play of a lot of cool, like colors, like you've got the black and the bronze and, um, the gold, just, um, the, the way that, that also kind of plays into then, you know, the desert and the spice and j just the use of color overall in, in all of that stuff I thought was just so cool. And that really, that's what he's known for. So, I mean, we wouldn't expect any less, but I always appreciate it um, because I think it just adds another layer of um, intrigue to the film as a whole because it's just so intoxicating to look at, regardless of what you're actually, what the story is saying. Or, or, you know, that aspect of the experience, it was just such a visual feast. I think if you could mute it and it would still be satisfying just to watch it, you know, um, a lot of cool design stuff going on. So I wanted to highlight that also. But that Hans Zimmer track, though, that was <laughs> pretty good. And he did his he did his usual affair, but at, at the same time, it added a lot to every scene and kind of made your, especially in IMAX, take your breath away sort of thing. Um, it's like... Yeah. So what I've kind of come to realize about Hans Zimmer is he's there, but there's someone else doing the legwork. I just want to know who was under him on the soundtrack for this, because there's always someone who's under Hans Zimmer, who's 
doing the majority of the work and Hans Zimmer's just putting his name on it. I want to know who did it. Who did the music? <laughs> Not to take anything away but Hans Zimmer, but yeah. I think other people do the legwork here. I thought this will probably go down as a top 10 Hans Zimmer score, truthfully. There was a lot of sound design in the score, so it wasn't so much like, you know, it's not like a uh, super, super orchestral to the point where, you know, there, there's a ton of um, there's a ton of composition where it's like you have all these different themes and like that's really the it's not I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not like a Star Wars John Williams sort of score there there's a lot of sound design and and you know the 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 low kind of like sub you know you know a lot of that type of stuff that's kind of interspersed in there but there was this theme and it was just like this big Phrygian kind of uh for lack of a better term kind of like Egyptian you know, that sort of vibe that would come in at certain moments. And it was just so well done and it just fit the vibe perfectly. Like I said, the kind of that melding of the sonics and then visually what you're seeing was just perfect. Uh, and it almost seemed like, you know, one entity, which is really, I'm sure what any director is going to go for, right? You want everything to be integrated and feel like it's, it's part of a whole as opposed to, oh, here's the sound element of it. And here's the visual element of it. And I just thought, Hans and whoever, as Colin said, uh, was working under him, the the person programming the bows did a phenomenal job and and really should be commended because I think it's just like some great, great music and great sound design. And it really fits that um, that visual style, I think, like hand in hand, like one to one. You know, there's really no um, dissonance there between the music and the visuals. So that that was really cool. And there was this there's this. um uh, you know, the Atreides anthem or whatever that was played on the bagpipe came into the music of the of the um, of the score, which was really cool. It was really cool to see that sort of like there's this Atreides thing. And then when there's these epics, Atreides, epic Atreides monuments, like when Josh Brolin looks over his shoulder and he's just like with me, with me and like dive straight into a battle that he's definitely going to die in. You know, it's like he. uh you know, it's very interesting to um, to sort of see those things tie in, like you said, like making it all one one giant thing, you know, diegetic or non-diegetic, you know, sound all kind of mixed together to make one beautiful thing. Yeah, there was like that arrhythmic tribal theme that kept coming back up too. I just remember that as you were talking that that was really cool because it was just so alien sounding. And I know that was the vibe, but like it didn't have any real rhythm. In the same way that a a lot of that sound design stuff didn't really have a melody per se, but it evoked something, which I thought was was really cool. It's cool when you can do that from a sound perspective. I I was just looking some stuff up and no, I guess there was no one under Zimmer that we could really give credit to. A lot of this was him and uh, Denny actually sitting there. It's months and months of them creating new instruments and... (laughs) Uh, creating and seeking just like new crazy sounds that's what they did for this yeah and so i can imagine I believe it when you're saying arrhythmic it's very interesting because you know everything that they do on dune is supposed to be arrhythmic because anything rhythmic would you know attract the worms which is kind of it's kind of like part of their culture to be arrhythmic at all times kind of cool detail detail Good on you, Denny. So it's all, I swear to God, if this movie fails and doesn't get a sequel, I'm just going to scream. 
I'm just gonna rage. So well, I'm doing sci-fi. <laughs> we'll just make a superhero podcast. Well, it's interesting because we didn't get to do our Blade Runner cast when we were in this position with Blade Runner, where we had seen it on opening night and it was phenomenal. We were all blown away when we saw it, but you know, there was very much, and I think more so than even with Dune, there was very much that question of, okay, how's this going to do? Is it going to make five bucks at the box office? Is it going to be a success? Probably not going to be a success. We'll at least break even, whatever. And we didn't really get to discuss it, I think, in the same way we, we talked about it earlier and, you know, like bringing it up now. So that's really my hope because on the on the, the micro, it's okay, break even or make some money so that the second part can get greenlit and we can get some conclusion to this story because I want to see it. I think I told you guys last night, I would have sat there for another three hours and watch part two last night. I mean, I was tired of shit, but I would have done it because I was that engrossed and invested at that point where the the story ends on part one. But then there's that other part of me too, that it, it's like a societal thing. There, it's That's the social scientist in me wanting to like see how art like this, that kind of straddles that line we've been talking about succeeds or fails succeeds or fails in the COVID kind of post COVID era here, but also just how it's consumed because this is something where, as I said in my, my Facebook post today really does deserve your money deserves to be seen in a theater. Um, if you're comfortable with that, it deserves to be, you know, uh, consumed and it deserves to be enjoyed and, and thought about and pondered or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I, all signs are pointing to that. Yeah, hopefully it will break even and, and maybe even make a little bit of money. Maybe it'll be in theaters for, you know, a couple months and it'll end up doing great and it'll blow away all expectations. You know, I, I would hope so. But I'm really just at the at the end of the road. I'm satisfied with it. And it was exactly what I wanted out of it and beyond kind of surpassed those expectations. But I'm just really viewing it as kind of an observer of society and of kind of pop culture on the grander scale. I'm curious to see what it does or where it goes. So that'll be kind of what I'm, I'm watching for here in the coming weeks. Honestly, I think we'll find out within the next week here whether or not this will get greenlit. Honestly, I think they can make a decision even if they're not like it's not going to make all the money it's going to make i think they're going to know if it's going to long term make enough money because uh, if they if they see from the box office enough money and that's not even counting because apparently hbo's like all this the companies they're not really going to report what they're making off of hbo for several years they're just not going to disclose that so uh, so we'll see yeah. truthfully we'll see it's um, got to be a lot of money. It's got to be a shit ton of money. It has to be, but they don't want to disclose it because yeah. they don't want to burst this little perfect bubble that they're in right now. Um, okay, uh, boys, I think. Yeah, we should talk about the movie now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I... <sighs> there was there were a couple elements that I did want to talk about real quick. Okay. If that's yeah. okay. So so there's so. So, so the thing about, okay, there's this, the element spice, let's just, let's just, I'm just going to focus on that. We'll just go on that. So spice basically creates, 
is a psychoactive drug, spores, that make it possible to think interdimensionally. So, you know, uh, <laughs> there's, such a, there's such a hint at Paul being able to see basically the idea of the future of parallel universes. Is like the idea that he sees visions of the future that don't exactly come true, but at the same time they split because he saw the vision and then he's able to make the decisions that he needs to. I mean, there's this one thing that I wanted to talk about real quick was Jamis. I think his name is Jamis. I forget what um is played by Babs. Anyway, um this the character that basically taught him about living in the desert, taught him about living on Dune and the things that he's going to have to do, and there's this entire mentorship that happens in these visions. And then when he first meets this guy, he kills him in a duel without ever coming to know him. And it's this fascinating little arc where he, that doesn't exist in reality. It just exists in a, you know, what I want to say is an inter, in, not going to say interdimensional, but like uh, the vision of the current trajectory he was on in time that was skewed by him having the vision. So, you know, he was going to die at some point or he's going to die in the duel, but because he had the vision of him dying in the duel, he doesn't die. So, like, there's these very interesting things that, you know, prevent a paradox, but at the same time, you know, shows what spice is. Spice is something that extends life. Spice is something that opens the doors to, you know, thinking in, within four candy. or five dimensions. Yeah, well, red nose candy as well. Um, but no, I, I think it's it was really, it's a very cool element that brings a lot of like sort of mystic ideas into a very sci-fi scope. At the same time, you know, so basically saying that there are these things that we don't interpret every day that tell us what's going to happen or that tell us what are happening in parallel universes or something like that or possible futures, possible universes that we could come to. And there's this one little tweak to your brain that will make you see it. And, you know, in order to see it, it makes it things possible, such as navigators from the space guild helping spaceships travel interstellar space. You know. Well, and the great thing is, he he showed that. He, he didn't showed tell. It. He didn't he say anything. It. He just showed it. He and showed like it. you you understood you, what you was happening. It. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yep. God. And that's that's awesome. You know, you don't need to explain it. There doesn't have to be some, you know, Timothy Chalamet. Well, that was kind of weird. So I would, there I was walking in the desert and all of a sudden, you know, like it, it's not, it, it's not that because I feel like, you know, that grinds it to a halt. Yeah. So that hurts the pacing. And we didn't get that uh, because of the show. Don't tell. I think that's like the, in any type of medium, whether it's, you know, movies, video games, Whatever, any visual medium, that's always the struggle is, you know, exposition dump time. You know, okay, let's have some character sit there and, for, and give you five minutes of lore. But we really didn't get that, and I think the movie's stronger for it. So I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. It, it takes a huge, weird concept, and it makes it part of the film, not the entire film itself. And that's one of the things about Dune is that there's so many tiny little parts that create this huge breadth that's hard to sort of visualize all at once. But, you know, I feel well, like he's on the track to do that. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, Dune is like quintessential space opera, right? But so yeah, it it is the archetype in a lot of ways. Like it it's it's the archetype, you know, that a lot of this other shit that we like was built off of. But what's cool about it is it's so weird that a lot of the tropey shit and stuff and and things that would become archetypes later on uh, kind of in the wake of Dune and and, uh, and other properties too. Don't get me wrong; it's not like it invented it, but the hero journey thing. I'm not saying that, but just that it's it. I'm gonna say impenetrable because obviously it isn't. You know, we we we're we're talking about it and and it's been made into a massive motion picture. But like, shit's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, and, yeah, you absolutely. Know what I mean? In a good way, it's cool, it's unique, but it, it's weird too. I mean, there's a lot of shit. We were watching the movie yesterday, and it's just like you know, I, I'm familiar with the property, but even seeing that on screen, I'm just like, yeah, this is weird, you know. But but that's that's cool because it it has that unique sort of flavor so i i mean i know that's one of the things we always get usually when we're at the end of the podcast which i know we're at the end of the podcast colin but we like we talked a lot about the movie and for me i love it like we talk about the uh the context of it right and and, and the cultural context and the social context and whatever um film history context but we don't actually talk about the sci-fi sometimes because we're so excited about all this other shit so I think, yeah, in terms of that being kind of the archetype and like Bill said, kind of exploring these like quasi mystic sci-fi concepts that could have a, you know, rather slim, but could have a uh, some sort of basis in reality uh, or, or, you know, physics or whatever it could be, you know, talking about mul- multiple universes and, and that type of thing or the multiverse, whatever. Um, it's cool. I don't know. It's very oh, I mean- dense stuff well, it's, <laughs> it's all dense there are so many layers that you can unpack with this movie like not i mean the, the commentaries that are going on during this like just the whole like commentary for me about colonialism and the whole backdrop there and you could also look at it in terms of uh masculinity that's a big theme going on here and just all that kind of shit it all unwraps like you you have to pick and choose what you want to talk about with this movie there's so much there it's just dense a a term that is synonymous with dune is dense it's just very dense there's there's no way around it um we can honestly talk about it for ages but um yes but this is (laughs) it's a (laughs) sci-fi sand is dense yeah it's coarse it gets everywhere I hate oh, it. Speaking of, did you know who what Hayden Christensen is going to be in? Uh, he's going to be in the the new Ahsoka show. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be in there. Yeah, and uh, he's supposed to be in the Obi Wan show too. I think so. Mm. Yeah, wild. Put him everywhere. Just more Hayden. Like ninety percent more Hayden, preferably in settings with sand. Yeah, just to see what happens. Anakin Skywalker will not be played by Jake Lloyd. Uh, an adult Jake Lloyd. Oh no, he's got like face tattoos and shit now. <laughs> Thirty years later, face tattoos. He just keeps trying to sell drugs to the other cast members. <laughs> Jake, no. Hey, you guys got a cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> We're bad people. Okay. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, boys, is there anything else anyone wants to add? Nope, that would be a bad idea, Colin. Go to good sci-fi. Okay, bad sci-fi. good sci-fi, bad sci. Jason started out. 
Sure. Yeah. So, um, as if anyone didn't already know, I, I really love this movie a lot. I, I had high hopes going into it. Um, and it, as I said, surpassed them all. Um, there's, I, I'd like to revisit this a few times to see if my initial appraisal kind of still holds up. I'd like to watch it again in theaters if I can. I'd like to watch it again at home when it's on, you know, 4K Blu-ray or whatever. And then I'd like to watch it again as a, a whole piece when part two is made because it's going to fucking happen. But I would say this is like some top tier sci-fi. This is, the, you know, this is magnanimous plus sci-fi 100%. A phenomenal film but this is what th this is like holy grail shit this is the, why we're into science fiction um and and it's i would say kind of a if not a once in a lifetime sort of movie this is definitely one of those rare films and the cool thing is we say that but like this is just denny's output he, he's he uh is a merchant of rare these rare experiences that we're not going to get or see from anyone else blade runner is obviously up there for me but I think after one viewing, Dune is, is going to be living right alongside uh, Blade Runner as, you know, one of my favorite contemporary sci-fi films. So fantastic. Could not be better for me. All right. Thank you very much. Moving on to Bill Jarvis. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a uh, magnanimous plus plus on this. I think it's great. It's, <laughs> I like the the ranking system that we've made here. I love it because it's really, it really is like archetypal in the way that it's doing. It's, it's really, I honestly, it's this, I think if everything goes well, this is going to be huge even going into the future. And I think it's a fantastic property and I loved it. So good sci-fi. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Bill. Andrew. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought it was really, really well made um glad we got to see it in theaters glad we got to um sort of experience it without any kind of spoilers or anything like that the one thing that i th i think that i don't care for is that it's a two-parter i just i don't know what it is about two-part movies to me i mean so you know dune 2021 is an hour and 37 minutes do 1984 is um 1982 is that what you were saying bill no two hours and 37 minutes what did i say an hour and 37 minutes whoops um <laughs> uh, yeah so two hours 37 minutes but um do 1984 was uh an hour and or two hours and 17 minutes for the whole story the and entire thing sting. <laughs> <laughs> But, but they did not do it justice, my man. <laughs> they had things. No, let's go back to that. Let's go back to the golden age of Dune The director in has straight up disowned that movie. He just let's go back to the golden age of thing. Yeah, golden. Age. You know what? They could have put stake in this movie. They had should, the ability to. You know what? They, they just really chose should've. not to. I'm just saying. Should have done. He was. He was the worm. Music by Sting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, you didn't hear it, but they actually. It, it was. It, very subtle, but uh, Sting actually did the entire score for this yeah. movie. Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> should have been body slammed over the top of it. 
I think yeah, I think I think it's amazing that Sting gained actually three million pounds to play this <laughs> role. role. Just for the role. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's so actually no, Just you're right. Role. So so Christian Bale played mm-hmm. the worm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because he is method acting. I was gonna say so everybody's a big fan. Everybody St- loves the machinist Sting and how much played the sand. Wait, he Sting lost was the uh, oh Sting Sting was the Fremen at the end that was riding the worm. That was Sting. <laughs> that was his cameo. Oh, oh wow. And they actually edited in the wind just for the yeah. just for the scene. Yeah. yeah. You guys um, I need a million dollar paycheck for this one. <laughs> Sting, we're not giving you any more money. Just get off Bro, the worm, please. I need it. Get off Hayden. But um, okay, no, um, I I think this was uh, excellent. I thought it was really like kind of like it. It has that sort of same fantasy bent as Star Wars, but manages to be like way harder sci-fi. So, very very excellent movie. Can't wait for the next one. It's a great way of putting it. It's a great yeah. way of putting it. Hey, thanks. You're great, yeah. Miller. What thanks. was it? Good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? Yeah. Great, great, excellent, magnanimous. Yes. It was yes. sci-fi. <laughs> magnanimous sci-fi. What kind of sci-fi was it? Yes, I'll have another. Hey, Thank you, you know what? Give me the more. Give me the more um, sci-fi. Uh, I thought, for me, this is what sci-fi is. Um, very much so. I think this is the 1960s. This is when sci-fi really starts to to kind of start to grow into its own and really take off. I think as a genre, not just in in book like it was. Um, but actually really starting to take off in things like film. Uh, a decade later, we're getting like Star Wars, which we didn't really talk about it, but fucking Star Wars is a ripoff of Dune. It 100% is. There's no escaping that. Mm-hmm. And wait till you get to the other layers of Dune, the children of Dune and all that shit. Yeah, Lucas was just ripping off Dune the whole time. Um, <clears throat> we'll get into that another time, though. Um, but anyways... I for me this is quintessential sci-fi. I fucking love it. Mm. I I want more of this. If I don't get this sequel, I will literally um slay whoever needs to be slain over at Warner Bros. And I forget the other studio that did it. Legendary, whatever. Legendary. Um yeah. Legendary. John Warner. Yeah, I'll, I'll come after all of them. I'll come for after Bros. their children. Uh no one is safe. Ooh. Except for Denny. <laughs> that's that's um, good. We have a recorded uh, recorded yeah. history of your threat to Warner yeah. <laughs> Brothers and all of their, their families. Yeah, death I love it. Listen, I'm, I'm coming after all of you if this movie doesn't get made. Um, Watch out, no, John Bros. Uh, no, not really. Uh, if, if Dune 2 doesn't get made, I'll just cry deeply and probably give up on sci-fi in general. Um, okay. Make a fantasy podcast. It'll be terrible. Um, anyways... Yeah, I mean, fuck it. I don't know. I, I love it. I love it. it. The the one word I want to take away from after watching that is just the gravitas of all of it. Like, it's just so fucking big. It was huge. The score was huge. The, the shots were huge. I can't get enough of it. I want to go back and watch it again. In fact, I am. I'm going to go watch it again. They used big so, yeah, I, I, I actually turned on HBO Max in the living room and I did watch it for like 20 minutes before. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the big screen again. Me and Caroline. No, are we need it. to. You, me, you, me, and Ben. You we'll me, go. Um, all right, folks. There you have it. That is our very quick hot take on Dune. I feel like we could talk about it for ages, even though we have time. 
Maybe we can have go a vision about it. it in two, theaters. Yes, go see it in theaters. Denny is going to be making two, Fast two, and Furious 15. <laughs> go see it in theaters. I think if Please this movie God. doesn't, if two doesn't come out, I think Denny will just literally stop making movies. Mm. It'll break his little French Canadian heart. He'll take his be ball like, oh. and go home. Life is shit. I'll go back That's to the, 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 the baguette factory. not good to the meal. Stop that wine. Do not take away my dude. That ain't right. That ain't right. No. All right. All right, folks. There you have it. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, next week, I believe, is our Halloween episode. Everybody, spectacular twenty twenty one. Cue the test from the crib music. Yeah, that'll be. Yes. That'll be super fun. So, all right, folks. Until next time.